invite you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to be camping out together this morning. But I wanted to start with this story about a little guy by the name of Jimmy. Jimmy was five years old. He was an only child, and for as long as he could remember, he had dreamed of having a little brother. Several of his friends in the neighborhood had little brothers. They loved playing with their little brothers, and Jimmy wanted that for himself. So one day, precocious little Jimmy walks up to mom and dad and says, Mom and dad, can I have a little brother? His parents smile at each other. They turn, they look at Jimmy, and his dad says, Tell you what, Jimmy, I bet that if you pray every day for a month, God will give you a little brother. It sounded like good news to Jimmy. He was willing to do that. In fact, he started that very day praying each day for a little brother. For two weeks, he prayed every day. But after two weeks, he realized and he, he discovered that nothing like this had ever happened in his neighborhood before. Nobody had prayed for a little brother and actually got one. So after two weeks, Jimmy stopped praying. About two weeks later, Jimmy was coming home from a neighbor's house where he had been playing. His dad met him at the door. Jimmy, I got something I want to show you. And he takes Jimmy by the hand and leads him into the master bedroom. There sitting on the bed is his mom. And next to mom are two little bundles wrapped in blankets, one on each side. Dad said, Jimmy, go look what's, what's next to mom. He cautiously went up. He, he looked. He, he looked at what was there. And it was a baby. Two babies. Two boys. Two baby brothers. And he was so excited, he smiled big, and his dad said, Jimmy, aren't you glad you prayed? Jimmy thought for a second, looked up at his dad and said, I sure am, Dad, but aren't you glad I stopped when I did? <laughs> Jimmy got to experience what for him was a miraculous answer to prayer by God. Jimmy had wanted a little brother for as long as he could remember, for five years as far as he was concerned. Five years seems like an eternity to a five-year-old. We are in a season of waiting right now. We are waiting for Christmas morning when we celebrate Christmas. But more than that, we are in a season of waiting for Jesus' return, Jesus' second coming. We are waiting for him to come when he will come and make all things right. Now, Waiting for a five-year-old, waiting for Christmas morning is a challenge. You've, some of you got little ones at home, and you know that countdown for Christmas morning is hard, especially as the pile of wrapped presents under the tree grows day by day. But you can imagine what the wait was like for God's people 2,000 years ago. 700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah tells God's people that the Messiah is coming. It's the Messiah, the, the one who will save them, is coming. And then 300 years later, the prophet Malachi is the last of God's Old Testament prophets to, to speak. And he tells about the one who is to come. He calls him Elijah. He calls him Elijah, but we know that he is John the Baptist. The one who's going to come and prepare God's people for the coming Messiah. Then for 400 years, after Malachi speaks, there's silence. God tells his people, the Messiah is coming. Get ready for the one who will come to save you. And then there's silence. God's people were expectant. They didn't know what the Messiah was going to be like. 
but they knew it was going to be a good thing. Sometimes some of them thought that perhaps it was going to be a, a conquering hero, one who would come and save them from the political challenges that they were facing with the Roman occupation. They didn't know what it was going to be, but they were filled with anticipation. God had filled them with anticipation, but then God went silent. And for 400 years, there was nothing they heard from God. Can you imagine what that's like? Now, I know that some of you can probably relate. Some of you have been praying for something for what seems like forever, and, and all you're hearing is nothing. All you're hearing is silence. Maybe you're praying for an ailing parent to be healed. Maybe you're praying for that job that's your heart's desire. Maybe you're praying for a child who's wandered away from the faith to, to return. You're praying, you're praying with great faith. And so far, all that you're hearing is silence. We're going to step into that moment in Israel's history together this morning to see what faith looks like in the midst of the waiting. We're going to step into that, that story of Jesus' mother Mary and see what faith looks like. Open your Bibles with me if you're not already there. In Luke chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading at verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will, be, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. It's a beautiful, familiar passage. My guess is that each of us have probably read that passage at least once a year ever since we first became Christians. But there can be a danger with familiarity. There can be a danger with that passage that we, we know so well and perhaps that we heard as children. We can lose that sense of wonder. We can lose that sense of amazement. And so I challenge us, I encourage each of us to, to consider this passage this morning with fresh eyes and with fresh ears. We celebrate Mary's faithfulness, her, her faith-filled response to the angel's words. But I want to point out that at first she responds with shock and concern. Verse 29 says that she was greatly troubled by what the angel said. This was not good news for Mary at first, was it? She followed that with questions. She questioned, and I'm certain that they are clarifying questions, but on some level, she must be speaking to the angel and saying that what he is saying cannot be true. I remind us that when we are faced with circumstances, when we have questions of God, it's okay. 
Mary was not disqualified by her questions, and our questions don't disqualify us either. God invites us to come to him with our questions, and he promises to meet us in the midst of those questions. What the angel was talking about was, was not good news at first for Mary. See, Mary was not yet married, and this was going to cause her trouble. I came across something a few weeks ago that puts Mary's situation into our context today, and I wanted to share it with you. So she was the last girl anybody expected to fall under this kind of disgrace. 14 years old, a freshman at Nazareth High School with a straight-A average, Mary always attended church. She was considered by everyone in the community to be the kind of daughter you hoped you would have. Mary didn't go to the wild parties. Mary didn't do drugs. Mary didn't talk back to her parents. Mary and her boyfriend Joseph had even led a true love waits rally where they challenged their friends to save sex for marriage. Her boyfriend Joseph was a senior in high school. He was the, the star of the football team and he was president of the church's youth group. He and Mary had made plans for the future. Joseph would stay in town after graduation and become a carpenter's assistant. By the time Mary graduated, Joseph should have enough saved up so he can open his own carpenter's shop and then they can get married. But then one night, while Mary was tossing and turning in her bed trying to fall asleep, she was visited by an angel. The angel told her that she had found favor in God's eyes and that she was going to become pregnant with God's child. The child she would bear would be the most important person who ever walked the face of the earth. His name would be Emmanuel. Mary's child would be God with us. The news was exciting for 15 minutes until 14-year-old Mary realizes that nobody will believe her. Her parents will be disgraced to have a daughter who is pregnant out of wedlock. Her entire community of support at church and at school will turn against her with scornful accusations of hypocrisy. But what about Joseph? Mary loved Joseph so much. But how could he be expected to believe that the baby, this baby, was God's baby? And that she had not betrayed him and slept with another man. A, an intimacy that they had not even allowed one another. Joseph would soon find out, soon enough. And true to his character, he would behave like a gentleman. He was hurt and he was angry, but he still loved Mary. He would end their relationship in as quiet and respectable a way as possible. What Joseph didn't know is that he would too soon be visited by an angel who would impart to him the truth that Mary's expectant situation was just as she had described. This was an act of God. Everything would eventually work out between Joseph and Mary, but not yet. Trusting God. Saying yes to God was going to be difficult for Mary. And yet, in faith, she said yes. Her words, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me be fulfilled. It's tremendous faith. Because it's what I like to call faith despite. It's faith despite the challenges that Mary's belief posed. Right? It's trusting God when, when trusting is hard. You may have experienced this yourself. Maybe God's calling you to a new job. You love your current job. You've got friends there. You're comfortable there. You've got status there. You, you've got the trust of the boss, and you've got the perks that come with seniority. But God is calling you to a new job where he wants to use you. He says, follow me. Follow me into the unknown. Follow me where I want to lead you. 
so that you might be used by me. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe he's calling you to befriend that, that unfriendly neighbor, the one that nobody else wants anything to do with. God says, I want to reach that person with my love, and I want to use you to do it. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe God is, is calling you to uproot your family and head out on the mission field. I don't know what it is. It might be one of those things. It might be something else. But it's a moment where you have to ask yourself, what do I believe? What do I believe? Do I believe that this is God's best for me? Is this what he's calling me to do? Or am I going to choose to believe what makes sense to me? What I am comfortable doing? There's a story that's happening simultaneously with Mary's story. It's a story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth are Mary's older relatives. They uh, live not too far away, but they're older. Zechariah is a priest. They've, they've never had children. They've always wanted to have children. They've never stopped praying for children. And then one day, the angel tells Zechariah that God has heard their prayer. And that Elizabeth is going to have a child, and they are to name that child John. Now, I want us to, to understand something here. They have been praying for a long time, and the, and the angel has told Zechariah that, they, that God has heard their prayer. This does not say that God had not heard their prayer before. That all those prayers they've been offering for years had, had fallen on deaf ears. Now, this word here for heard is a word that's tied to action. It's saying that God has not only heard their prayer, but God is about to act on that. And that's an encouragement to me. Because I'm like you. There are things that are close to my heart that I pray about again and again and again. Sometimes for years. right? And I'm thankful that I can trust that God hears every prayer. And I'm also thankful that I can trust that, that God can take care of even my biggest problems. Right? There is no concern that I have that's too big for God. If God can cause Elizabeth, who is unable to conceive, to become pregnant, then God can handle my biggest concerns, and he can handle your biggest concerns. I can trust that God will answer my prayers in the way that he knows is best for me. He doesn't always answer in the way that I would choose. He doesn't always answer on my time schedule, right? But he does, he answers in the way that's best for me, and the way that's best for his kingdom. Now here's the thing. The angel tells Zechariah, not only are they going to have a son, but this son is going to be a special son. That he's going to bring joy and delight to them. And that he is going to be God's instrument to prepare his people for the coming Messiah. He speaks in words that I'm sure as a, as a priest, Zechariah recognizes Words that are pointing back to God's words, his last words that he spoke through the, the prophet Malachi. God has been silent for 400 years. And here in what might be the, the first words he's spoken in 400 years, he's pointing back to his last words that he spoke. As if to say, I haven't forgotten my promises. And I haven't, I, I've heard every one of your prayers. God is coming and he's getting ready to send that Messiah and he is preparing to send that, that prophet, the prophet John the Baptist, to prepare his people for the coming Messiah. Now, Zechariah's response to the angel's words are not faith-filled. He questions the angel's words. He says, how can this be? How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. As a result of this questioning, Zechariah is made to be silent until the birth 
of the Son. He can't speak until John is born. The question we might ask at this point is, is, is why was Zechariah punished for this question and Mary wasn't? There's a story in the Old Testament, the story of Abraham and Sarah, where Abraham and Sarah are promised a child in old age and they question it and yet they are not punished. But why was Zechariah? Why was he punished when the others weren't? Let's hold on to that question and we'll come back to it in a minute. At this point, the story comes together. The story comes together and Mary visits Elizabeth. In verse 39, it says, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now I imagine that there are two reasons why Mary has come to visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth is older. She's in the, the sixth month of her pregnancy that when things start getting tougher and tougher. And I imagine that Mary is there to help out Elizabeth. But I also imagine that Mary is, is there as a way of going into hiding. See, her pregnancy is going to cause her trouble in that hometown of Nazareth. And this is a way to get away and, and avoid what the people will be saying and what the people will be doing. When Mary enters into that house, the, the baby in the, the womb of Elizabeth leaps for joy. And, and Elizabeth is filled with, with exuberance. She responds loudly and she sings God's praises. And imagine that this is a, just a, a wonderful moment for Mary. The angel has spoken to her and told her what is to come. And now he has revealed it to Elizabeth. Further confirmation of what is to happen. And Mary brings, breaks out into a song of her own. In verse 46, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. I love how Mary begins with praise. Praising God and thanking him for the blessing that he's bestowing upon her. And she continues, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary recounts the faithfulness of God. Each of these statements are in the past tense, talking about what God has done, how he has been faithful through the generations to his people. And this is important. It's hugely important to remember God's faithfulness because the greatest enemy of faith is forgetfulness. The greatest enemy of faith is forgetfulness. If I forget what God has done in the past, then I'm going to struggle to trust him for today and for tomorrow. If I remember what God has done in the past, then I'm going to be able to trust him today and for my future. That's what the angel is speaking of in verse 37. The angel said, for no word from God will ever fail. God's word can be trusted. 
When God said that a virgin will have a child, it will happen. When God says that a child will be born to Zechariah and Elizabeth in their old age, it will happen. We can trust when God speaks, which brings us back to our question. Why was Zechariah punished for his question and Mary wasn't? Why was he punished and Abraham wasn't? You know, I read this passage a few weeks ago in preparation for this morning, and that was a question that kept filling my mind. Why was Zechariah punished? I searched through some Bible commentaries, didn't find an answer, but here's what I think. What had happened to Mary and what happened to Abraham and Sarah hadn't happened before. There was, for Abraham and Sarah, there, there was no instance in their neighborhood where somebody had given birth in, in their old age. There was nothing to point at for Abraham and Sarah, say it, what happened to them and so it can happen for us. There had never been a, a virgin giving birth to a child. Mary couldn't look at a previous circumstance and say, it's going to happen to me because it happened to them. But for Zechariah, he should have remembered that Abraham and Sarah were blessed with Isaac in their old age. He should have remembered God's faithfulness in the past and trusted God for the future. We have been blessed in Scripture to have story after story of God's faithfulness. Stories that tell of, of how faithful God is, how powerful God is, how loving God is, how God is able to do exceedingly above all we could ever ask or imagine. When my daughter Sarah was four years old, she was, she was diagnosed with leukemia. And I remember the moment we heard leukemia, that word leukemia for the first time. It, it seems like it was yesterday because it hit me like a ton of bricks. My daughter has cancer. Over the next three weeks, I spent my quiet times reading those gospel accounts of Jesus healing people. I wanted to remind myself of God's power to heal and as well as God's desire to heal. And as I read those passages and, and saw and reminded myself of what God could and wants to do, I was strengthened for the journey that was ahead. I was given that courage and that strength to trust that God could heal my Sarah, and he has healed my Sarah. And because he has, I can trust him even greater things in the future. Maybe you've been praying for something for a long time. Maybe you are facing difficult circumstances, and, and if so, my heart cries out to you. Maybe you are dealing with, with tough stuff like the death of a loved one. Maybe this is going to be the first Christmas without your beloved. Maybe you're praying that a child who's wandered away from the faith will return to following Jesus. Maybe you're dealing with, with tough stuff. Maybe you've been praying for something for almost your whole life. Maybe you've been praying to, that you want to be married and you're, you've been praying for a spouse. Maybe you, you've got those deep, deep needs and those deep, deep hurts and all you're hearing as you pray is silence. During a very difficult time in my life, I had been praying for something for, for months and, and had not received an answer from God. A dear friend prayed over me and his words spoke to my soul. He said, God, I feel like Lon is in a boat in the middle of the sea. And the, the storm is raging and the waves are crashing. And God, I know that you're in the boat with Lon. But right now it seems like you're sleeping. God, wake up. Wake up and calm the storm. The images in that prayer bring to mind the, the images in that Luke 8 story 
story where Jesus is in the boat on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. The storm is raging. The disciples are afraid that the boat's going to capsize. Jesus is there with them, and, and yet he's asleep in the back of the boat, apparently unconcerned about the storm. Disciples woke him up and said, calm the storm, Lord, do something, help us. And Jesus woke up. They calmed the storm, and the disciples looked at each other and said, who is this? That even the wind and the waves listen to him. Who is this? During this Christmas season, we ask the question, what child is this? What child is, is this that's going to be born from the Virgin Mary? We know the answer, don't we? This is the Messiah sent by God to save his people. This is the one who would later climb upon that cross to die to pay the price so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be made right with God. This is the one that we turn to in the storms of life. This is the one that we turn to in all of life's circumstances, with our great joys and with our great challenges. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. And so we remember, whatever we face, we do not face it alone, because God is with us. Jesus came on Christmas morning 2,000 years ago. He walked this earth for 30 years and then he was crucified. And as he was hung on that cross and as he was placed in that grave, the authorities thought, now we're done with him. Now we put an end to that Jesus. And now we put an end to that Jesus movement. And there was a persecution that broke out as, as they tried to silence his followers who were telling that this one that they had crucified has now risen. Many of Jesus' followers were, were forced to leave because of the persecution, leaving Jerusalem and heading to the far corners of the known world. And everywhere they went, they told of this Messiah who had come, who had died, and who had risen again. Philip, Barnabas, Silas, Peter, Paul, Timothy, all of them going from city to city and town to town, telling the story of the, the one who had come, the Messiah who had come to save his people. The Apostle John was pastoring a small church in, in the city of Ephesus at this time. He was arrested and he was exiled to a small island off the coast. Ephesus is in Asia Minor. And while he was there, he received a vision from Jesus. A vision which told him what is true and what is to come. And, and John wrote this down and he said it to those followers in Ephesus. They shared it with the cities nearby. And that, that vision, that letter they sent is, is in our Bible. It's the book of Revelation telling what is true and what is to come. And the message is, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. That will let her encourage the people of Ephesus, encourage them to, to keep at it, to keep living as followers of Jesus, to continue to tell others about him. And they did. They kept living. They were encouraged and they, they kept at it and they kept at it and they kept at it. Historians tell us that within 30 years of, of this letter receiving them, that city of Ephesus was 90% followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back. And that's not just good news for someday in the future. That's good news for us today. We are invited to live as those Ephesians lived continuing to live out our faith, continuing to share our faith with our neighbors and with our co-workers and with the friends at school, 
continuing to live that life expectantly looking forward to his return, right? Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, there will be no more sickness. There will be no more disease. There will be no more death. There will be no more scarcity. Everybody will have enough. Everything will be made right when Jesus returns. That's the hope we live with today. We don't know when he will return, but when he returns, things will be made right. And because God has revealed this through his word, we can trust that it will happen. It's going to happen. God has been doing things. God is at work. Sometimes it's in the most unlikely ways, right? Sometimes it's in ways that we would never expect. Like 2,000 years ago, they, they expected that he was going to send the Messiah as a conquering hero. And so they sent the Messiah as a little baby. Born a mom, a virgin mom, in a, ba- in a manger attended by an angel choir and and shepherds. But the world has never been the same. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you left the comforts of heaven, that you left that glory of heaven and you came to earth, that you came to earth and you showed us what God is like. Lord, we celebrate your first coming. Thank you for showing us that. Thank you for your death on the cross, which makes us right with God. Thank you that you rose again and that you are now seated in heaven. That you are our advocate, taking our prayers to the Father. And God, thank you for hearing every one of our prayers. But Lord, we so look forward to the day of your coming again. The day when you will set things all, all things right. The day when you will... Gather your own to yourself. Help us to live with hopeful anticipation. Help us to live as you have called us to be ready. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.